Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Hey, let me ask you a question. Can you think of a time that you have uh, had a problem with authority in your life? Uh, maybe you've rebelled against some authority, questioned authority, uh, had some issues around the area of authority. Maybe it was with uh, a parent as you were growing up and you just didn't understand why they wanted you to do certain things or, or uh, you saw some hypocrisy in their life. Maybe they told you to do something, but they didn't do some of the same things they told you to do. Or maybe you had a teacher or instructor that was a college professor or something like that that you just kind of went, man, I don't like this person. I don't want to do what they asked me to do. I am not going to be about what they're about. Uh, it could have been a coach. Uh, that you just kind of went, I don't like them. I, I don't like doing what they tell me. They always want me to run more and do more, and I just don't want to do that. I don't want to be under their authority. Who, do, who gives them the right to tell me what to do, right? And so that's really the question that we come around to, is when it comes to people who are in authority over us, we go, man, who gives you the right to tell me what to do? And really, that's what we're going to find ourselves with Jesus this morning as we get into Luke chapter 20. If you're new with us, we've been journeying through the gospel of Luke from the birth of Jesus, and we're moving toward the cross that Jesus will, uh, will endure as he pays for our sins. But we've been watching from the birth of Jesus to his death, really from the cradle to the cross, and we come upon Easter really soon. We're going to be seeing what happens in the life of Jesus. But we're now in the last week of Jesus' life. And as we get into this last week, we start to see where Jesus is and what he's doing. And we found out last week that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and he went straight to the temple. And it was in the temple that he turned over the tables of the money changers. He drove everybody out and he kind of takes up residence there. And in the middle of doing that, Jesus is now in this place where he's come into Jerusalem and the people are listening to everything that he says, but the religious leaders have a real issue with Jesus being there and a real issue with with what Jesus is doing. And so they ask this same question that we might ask when we have people in authority over us. And so I want us to read this together this morning. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 20, let's read the first eight verses together and then we'll pick up and go from there. But here's what Luke records. It says, One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law together with the elders came up to him. Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things, they said? Who gave you this authority? And he replied, I'll also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? And they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he'll ask, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Right, and so here's Jesus in the middle of the last week of his ministry life on earth, and he's teaching in the temple courts. He's going through things. He's talking about the gospel, and he's proclaiming good news that the kingdom of God is coming to the world and that he has implemented the kingdom of God in its full coming. And after his death on the cross, the kingdom will completely come into play as Jesus takes up residence in our life through the Holy Spirit and leads us to help other people come, into the, uh, come in as citizens of his kingdom 
kingdom. And so with all of these things going on, the people are listening to Jesus. They're following at every word that he says. They're loving what he's proclaiming. They're excited about the reality that the kingdom of God is finally coming to play in this world, except that the religious leaders continue to challenge Jesus. And so as they do this, they come up to him and they've got these questions. Hey, who gave you this authority? By what authority are you doing these things? Like, why did you drive out the money changers? How did you take up residence in our temple where we're supposed to be in charge? And now all the people are listening to you instead of listening to us. And who gave you this authority? Right? The question really is, who said you could come in here and be in charge? And they don't like what's going on. They have no desire to bow at the feet of Jesus and worship him. And really, the question that's being asked, who said you could come in here and take charge, is really a, a question that brings about an emotion. Right? And the emotion that I see in this is jealousy. Right? Have you ever noticed how jealousy affects your life? Here's what psychology today says about jealousy. It says it's a complex emotion that encompasses feelings ranging from suspicion to rage, to fear, to humiliation. Man, did the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the elders exhibit those things? You bet they did. Right? Like they've got all of these things that are going on in their hearts, in their lives. They're suspicious of Jesus. They're angry at him. There's rage against him. They're fearful of what Jesus is going to do. And often they're humiliated by Jesus. There are things that Jesus will do that puts them on the spot and makes them look ridiculous in front of the crowds. And so they experience all these emotions. They're jealous because they see Jesus and the authority that he has. They don't want to acknowledge his authority, but they recognize his authority. And so they start going, who gave you this authority? We want authority like that, but we don't have it. But you seem to have authority. So where did it come from? They're jealous of the authority that Jesus has from God. But Jesus doesn't really give them an answer to their question. He really is just going to point them in another direction. And so we do this same thing. We'll ask Jesus these kinds of things all the time. And maybe, maybe you've grown and matured to a place where you've stopped doing this, but probably at some point in your life as a Christian, and I know in my life as a Christian, I've had that time to go, Jesus, I just don't understand why you want me to do that. And why should I stop doing this activity or this thing? Or why, why do you want to change this in my life? Or why would you want me to do that? I don't recognize your authority. Right? And so when it comes to our Christian lives, though, Francis Chan once wrote this about being disciples of Jesus. He said, discipleship in this day is a lot of people getting together and sharing their feelings and thoughts. So as leaders, we have to teach people to be able to teach others that your thoughts and feelings don't matter that much. And you can't believe everything you think and feel. We come under the authority of Scripture. We have to be honest and say, look, there's things in this book, we might not agree with, that we don't think, that we don't feel, but we surrender to it. And when I disagree with this book, I assume God is right and I'm wrong. Right? That's putting yourself under ultimate authority. To go, I don't think that way. I don't feel that I don't necessarily even agree in my humanity with the things that are from God. I don't always agree with what I see here. And yet I'll say, but if you say it's true, then I'll surrender to that and I'll submit myself to your authority. 
So that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. And in the time of Jesus, here's how things worked. When the rabbis are asking him and the Pharisees are asking him, who gave you the authority to do these things? No one acted on their own authority. For a teacher like Jesus, a rabbi like Jesus, you would have another teacher or rabbi or Pharisee who trained you and they would have been trained by someone. And when you stood up to speak in public, you would say, Here's, I want to tell you not what I think today, but I want to tell you what my rabbi said based on what his rabbi said. And because of the agreement that I have with those two guys, here's what I believe scripture teaches. It was always about not my personal authority, but the authority of others that I've placed myself under and I agree with their view on scripture. But when Jesus came along, Jesus started saying things without the approval of others, right? He would come along and say, hey, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if anyone looks at someone else lustfully, you've committed adultery in their heart, right? You've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you that if you have anger in your heart against a brother, it's the same as if you've already killed them. Right, and so Jesus stands on his own authority. He'll go, you've heard it said, but I'm going to tell you this is the truth, right? And so even in this moment, when he comes to the temple and the Pharisees and religious leaders come up and go, by whose authority are you doing these things? Jesus goes, you know what? I'm, I know where you're coming from with this question. I know you want to get at me with something. So let me ask you a question instead in return. John's baptism, was it from heaven? Was it God ordained, God sent? Was John a prophet? Or was it of human origins? And I can just imagine the Pharisees having to kind of huddle up and go, okay, guys, all together here, let's go. And they get in a huddle and they start talking to each other like, okay, here's the question that's been posed to us. We have to answer, do we think John's baptism was from God or do we think it was of human origin? And like, is Jesus still looking at us? And they're kind of looking around going, yep, he's still looking. He's waiting for us to give us an answer. What are we gonna do? It's like, I don't know, but I don't really like him all that much. He keeps bothering us all the time. But let's get back to this main question, right? Like, is John's baptism from heaven or not? And they have to go, well, if we say it is from heaven, we know what he's gonna answer in response. Then why didn't you listen to him? But if we say it's from, the, from his human origins, the people are going to be angry because the people assumed that John was a prophet. They loved John, and they're going to stone us and kill us if we say, take that stance. So they come back to Jesus, and they do the laziest thing you can possibly do when you answer someone's question. What is it? They go, I don't know. Have you ever had that answer given to you? You ask a legitimate question, and somebody goes, I don't know. Anybody have kids? Hey, how did that get broken? We don't know. Really? You were the only two playing with it five minutes ago, and now it's in pieces on the floor. How did that happen? Well, I, don't, I don't know. It's miraculous, right? And so when we think about this, when they come along and they just say, we don't know, they give the most ridiculous answer they can possibly give. And when it comes to us, I would just challenge us to think about this too. You're going to have times in your life that someone asks you a hard question. If you're living out your faith where you live, where you work, and where you play, there's going to be inevitably a time that somebody who knows you're following Christ and as you're witnessing to somebody or sharing your faith or, or you're just being the hands and feet of Jesus in our world, there's going to be people who come up to you and go, hey, I got a question. And you're going to get asked some challenging questions. I want to challenge you never to just say, I don't know and walk away, right? Now, here's the truth. I get asked hard questions all the time. 
And I honestly do not know the answer to half of the questions you guys ask me. I'm sorry. You can email me. You can ask me in person. And I may have to say to you, I don't know. But I can promise you this. I will never, ever stop at, I don't know. Good luck with that. See you later. And you shouldn't either. As believers in Christ, we know and believe that the answers to the hard questions in life are available to us. We might just have to dig and find them. So when somebody challenges you and asks you a question, the best answer is to go, you know, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head, but I believe that answer is out there. Will you give me some time to research on that and dig for that and come back to you with an answer? Or better yet, invite them into the process. Hey, if that's something you're genuinely curious about, about my faith as a follower of Jesus, and you really want to know what it looks like to be walking with him, then I would encourage you, let's dig in together. Let's look at some scripture together. Let's get online and do some research together. Let's find some things that will help answer the question that you legitimately have about who Jesus is, about this Christian faith, and let's see if the answer's out there. Would you walk with me and help find that? It's okay that you don't know everything. It's not okay for you to leave somebody at, I don't know, and walk away, right? So as Christians, that's an encouragement to us today. Don't be like the Pharisees who just go, I don't know, and leave it there, right? So Jesus hears them come back to him and they say, well, we don't know. And he goes, fine, then I'm not gonna tell you the answer to your question either. I just love Jesus. (laughs) I love how Jesus handles these kinds of things oh, you're not willing to tell me anything? I know what you're thinking, what you're going through. I know what you've kind of huddled up over here and discussed, but you're not willing to come back here and give me a legitimate answer. Fine, that's fine. Then I'm not gonna answer your question. Jesus is always, always, always willing to deal with people who have sincere questions about him and about faith. Jesus will turn people away and shun people who are just coming with gotcha questions. So this morning, my encouragement to you, if you're not a believer, if you are somebody who has questions about the Christian faith, is come with your questions, but make sure that they're sincere and legitimate that you really want to know. When I get disappointed in is when people just want to ask gotcha questions. I just want to put you on the spot and put a question on you that you can't possibly answer or there's no good answer to it or I'm not going to listen even if you do have a good answer to it. I'm just trying to get you, right? I, I have no time for people like that. But if you'll come and say, hey, you know what? I know we're probably going to disagree about this. We're not on the same page about these things. You believe one way, I believe another. But could you tell me why you think that way? Could you explain to me how you came to your conclusions, how you came to the place that that's what you believe versus that's what I believe? And listen to me. We can disagree with people and still love people well. We live in a culture that says, if you disagree with me, you hate me. And you're hateful and bigoted and insensitive. And that's just not true. None of us will ever agree with everyone all the time about everything. It's impossible. Just because someone disagrees on an issue doesn't mean that they hate you or that you hate them. You can disagree with somebody and still say, but listen, I don't don't agree with you in that, but I'll still love you. I have nothing against you. We can still be friends. I can still appreciate you. I can still respect you, but I don't have to agree with you. So when Jesus comes to this moment with the leaders 
he comes back to them and says, listen, I, I'm not going to answer your question. But he does move on and tell a parable to them. And so as he jumps into this next section in, in chapter nine, uh, 20, verse 9, the religious leaders won't answer his questions, so Jesus doesn't answer theirs, but he gets into this parable and he says this. He went on to tell this parable. A man planted a vineyard and he rented it to some farmers and he went away for a long time. And at harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when the people heard this, they said, God forbid. But Jesus looked directly at them and asked, what then is the meaning of this that is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them but they were afraid of the people, right? So in scripture, in the Old Testament scriptures especially, the nation of Israel is typically referred to as a vineyard. So when Jesus uses this language, the people go, okay, he's talking about the people of Israel. He's talking about the Hebrews. And then the owner of the vineyard is God, right? And then he goes, and there's tenants who were put in place to be responsible for the leadership or the cultivate health in the vineyard. That's the religious leaders, Right, but Jesus is telling this story and he goes, but at the time when the vineyard should have been producing fruit and should have been ready for harvest, the owner of the vineyard, God, sent people back to his tenants to get just a little bit of what was owed to him out of the vineyard. And what do they do? They beat the guy up, they send him back. He sends another one. They beat him up, treat him shamefully, send him back. Next one, beat him up, send him away. So the owner goes, then what will I do? I'll send my son whom I love. And here's what I think is fascinating about as Jesus tells this parable, he actually answers the question that they asked originally. Hey, by what authority do you do these things? And in this parable, Jesus goes, there's God who's over the vineyard and he has a son and he sent his son whom he loves. So if you want to know where I get this authority, this is telling you, I'm the son of the father and I've come into my vineyard. Right? And so they see him and they go, but the son comes. When we look at him, we go, if we kill him, we'll become the heirs. And we'll just take charge of all of this. So that's what they do. They kill the son. And then the father has to ask the question or the owner has to ask the question. Well, then what am I going to do now? I'm going to come in and I'm going to kill those tenants. And I'm going to give the vineyard to others. And in that way, Jesus is telling them, since you've rejected me as Messiah, since you've not taken me as your king and your Lord, the vineyard is going to be given to other people. The kingdom of God is going to come to others. And essentially, Jesus is talking about us as Gentiles, that the kingdom is going to go out to the world and that we're going to be able to have access into the kingdom. And the people are taken back by that. They go, God forbid. 
Like they've always thought of this as being a Jewish kingdom. This is a Jewish thing. They don't want to see the leaders taken out and the kingdom go to others. And so Jesus goes, well, what do you expect? He talks about the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In building a house or a structure at this time, you would take a a cornerstone and you would lay it. It would be the foundational stone by which everything else was going to be built. It had to be completely level. If it's unlevel, the rest of the building that you build on top of it's going to be unlevel and it's going to tilt. If it's not facing perfectly north and south, if it's just off a degree or two, then the rest of the building is going to be off a degree or two. It's not going to be facing the direction that it's supposed to be facing. And so Jesus says, I'm the cornerstone that everything is built on in this faith. And so you come to me or you're crushed and you'll be destroyed. And so when Jesus talks about this, there's a quote that I found this week that helped explain this even more. Here's what it means. If we fall on that stone by rejecting him or that stone falls on us in condemnation, then we'll be broken to pieces or it will shatter us. If we reject Jesus Christ when he offers himself to us in the gospel, we break ourselves. And if his condemnation falls on us, it crushes us. And the religious leaders have done just that. They've rejected Jesus. They've rejected his claim of divinity. They've rejected his claim as being Messiah. And now he's telling them, this is going to crush you. It's going to destroy everything you've built. Because this is the foundation stone that everything has to be built on. And so for us, when we see this and ask this question for our life, the question needs to become for us today, man, how do I build my life on Jesus? And how do I not get to a place where that cornerstone ends up crushing me or destroying me because I've rejected him? But rather what I want to do is build my life on him. And so that's the last thing that I want us to do this morning as we close up some time together. I want to just give you three ways to build your life on Jesus. These will be on the screen, and if you're taking notes this morning on our app, you can fill these in. But how do we build our life on Jesus rather than being crushed by him? Here's the first thing. Investigate and embrace his claims of divinity. Like the first thing you have to start with is just investigating if Jesus really is the Son of God. And if he is, then you embrace him. And if you discover and find, hey, this is true, this is right, this is real, everything that the scriptures of the Old Testament have pointed to are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah of the world. He is the Savior of my life, redeeming me from my sins to give me hope for my future. Then I'm going to embrace him. Number two is this, submit to his lordship and align your life with his. That if Jesus truly is the Messiah, the king, then you submit to his lordship. And that you say, I I don't know if I'll always agree with everything you ask me to do. And you may ask me to do some hard things. But because you're God, I'll submit to your lordship. And I'll do what you ask. And then here's number three. Don't substitute knowledge of Jesus for relationship with Jesus. So we can too easily be guilty of filling the void in our life with religion. Or the void in our life with knowledge. I just want to know more about God. Scripture warns us about that because it says even the demons know him and they shudder at the thought of him, but they don't accept him. And so rather than trying to fill our lives with more knowledge of Jesus or or religion and practices of religion, he goes, just get to know me. Fall in love with me. Recognize me as your Savior, as your Lord, and I want to have a relationship with you. 
a relationship that's life-changing and life-giving. And so this morning, as we kind of close our time in this message, I want to just ask for us to think about what are we building our life on? And what questions are you asking of Jesus? If you're somebody who has questions about Christian faith, about Jesus, write those questions down. Don't be afraid to ask sincere, legitimate questions. And then if you want to talk to somebody about those things, we would love to have an opportunity to talk to you. Somebody from our staff team, someone from our elder team, we would love to just sit down and talk with you. Maybe you're a life group leader, somebody that you came to church with this morning. Just have a conversation with them and go, here's the questions that I have. Here's where I'm wrestling. Here's where I'm struggling. Will you help me figure these things out? And maybe you'll come to a place where you agree with us and you'll place your faith in Jesus. Maybe you won't. But you've got to go through the place where you ask the sincere, legitimate questions. And if you find him to be true, then you embrace him. And so this morning, how I want us to close up, I'm going to ask Greg and Nicole Stansel to come forward. And we've been reading through this gospel of Luke. And as we're getting toward the end of this gospel and toward Easter and, and the story of the cross, we're going to see more and more of what Jesus does. But we want to continue reading through Luke chapter 20 this morning and just wrap up our time together uh, by reading this passage. And then we're going to sing one last song as we close. So if you will, let me just pray for us. And then they're going to read this passage of scripture. God, we love you so much. And we pray and ask today, Father, that there would be some things that you stir in our hearts. Father, as believers who are uh, attempting our very best to live out our faith and to show other people a, a relationship with Jesus that's life-giving and life-transforming. Father, for others who maybe are, are not believers in the room this morning, but they have questions about faith and about Christ and, and who he is and, and is he an authority worth bowing to? This question is one that we all have to wrestle with. Who gives you authority? Who do you think you are that you can speak into my life? And so God, let us wrestle with that and help us to find the answers to our questions. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. As Joel said, we're going to continue reading in Luke 20. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere they hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died, died childless. The second and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? 
Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher, and no one dared to ask him any more questions. Then Jesus said to them, Why is it said that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself declares in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him, Lord, how then can he be his son? While the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.